The passage tonight is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 2. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening, I'm Pastor Brooks. I'll be bringing you the word this evening as we are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. And we'll get to the text here in just a moment. I always love it when Andrew reads, but especially this text, it sounds like we're being rebuked, and we are. And then with his voice, it, I feel like a kid going to the principal's office uh, right now. But before we do get to the text, I uh, want to draw your attention to some important changes that are occurring, not so much here in uh, the downtown campus, but we are one church, two locations. And some of you, uh, many, many of you, in fact, have tuned in and you have watched online. And if you're going to continue to do so, you need to understand there is going to be a, some service times change changing. February 28th, we are going to switch some times. The first service is still going to be 8 a.m., but the second service is going to begin at 9.30 instead of 10. So 9.30 instead of 10. Now, why does that matter to you if you don't attend North Liberty Campus? It really doesn't. However, if you sometimes want to tune in and watch the live stream, the live stream is going to start at 9.45, not 10. So that is, uh, that is pertinent, even if you don't ever attend the North Liberty Campus. Or if you know someone and you're encouraging people to, hey, watch the live service um, make sure that you let them know that's 9.45. So just a, a couple, of, uh, couple of announcements that way. So the text, or at least one of the verses, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, reads the following. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Why is it hard to explain? Since you've become so dull of hearing. Does that sound a wee bit like a sharp rebuke? If you feel that that feels like a rebuke, it's because it is. It's because it is. So it's important to set the stage before we get into the text with a question, not about the text, but about our disposition. How do you handle rebuke? Certainly, at some point in time in your adult life, whether you're 54 like me or 24, you have experienced a rebuke. It's not pleasant. Sometimes it's sharp. Sometimes there's error mixed in with truth, but there's a little truth, and, and that truth, the way it's said, it hurts. How do you respond when someone rebukes you? Do you look for the truth in the rebuke and seek as that as an opportunity to grow? Or because of the nature of the rebuke 
and the way it stings, do you put up a force field, a shield, a wall? Do you dig in your heels? Do you backtrack and say things like, well, I know you are, but what am I? How do you respond? Do you receive it with a heart that wants to benefit from the rebuke or someone who wants to deflect and not deal with the rebuke? Uh, My freshman year, when I was a student here at the University of Iowa, I was wrestling for the University of Iowa, and we took the trip up to Cedar Falls, Iowa, to wrestle you and I. And at that time, I was wrestling heavyweight. I was a light heavyweight, six foot, 210 pounds. Not quite 210 pounds, still six foot. But at that time, I was a freshman. I was unranked. And I was wrestling someone from you and I who was an upperclassman. He was about six foot six and 260 pounds, and he was highly ranked. So the match started. We shook hands. The whistle blew. We began to wrestle. And by the end of the first period, I had taken him down, and, and it was 2-0 to oh at the end of the second period. Now, those of you who are like, I'm not a wrestling fan. I don't understand anything. Just hang on. We'll get to the punchline. You'll enjoy at least the punchline. So it's 2-0. I choose down in the second period. So I take down. My hope is that I'm going to stand up, escape, and earn one point. So it'll be 3-0 right after the beginning of the second period. That's my plan anyway. So I choose down. The referee says, top man, come on. He takes his position. The whistle blows. I attempt to escape, but I don't. And I get cradled. If you don't know what a cradle is, it's hard to explain. But he comes over around me and does this. And he kind of cradles me like a little baby. And he takes me over and puts me on my back. The referee starts counting. I'm giving up back points. And then I get off of my back and I try to escape. And he cradles me again and takes me to my back. The referee's counting and I, get, I lose more back points. And to make a long story short, I never got out. I think the third period, he chose up since it was his turn, and I never got out. I was, I was pummeled. I was beaten badly. It was a major decision. Came off the mat, dejected, grabbed my sweats, went into the locker room. The meet was over by then. We beat them fairly soundly as a team. You know, we shake their opponent's hands. You go through and shake the other team's hand, and I'm just kind of, you know, down in the mouth and then go back in the locker room. And so here we are, and, I, and all of us from 118 pounds all the way to heavyweight are sitting there in the locker room. And my coach, Dan Gable, who is retired now, and Dan Gable coached the Iowa Hawkeyes to 15 NCAA titles and 25 consecutive Big Ten titles. He is arguably the greatest coach in the history of amateur athletics, let alone wrestling. So Dan Gable, a legend, my hero, my coach, goes to the lineup and he starts with 118 and he gives pointers and cues on here's what you did right, here's what you did wrong, here's what you need to do. And he's going on the way through and he finally gets to me and he looks at me and he says, Simpson, if I was in a street fight tonight, I would have wanted you on the other side. What do you say to that? I know you are, but what am I? Oh, yeah, well, you know, you're bald and the hair plugs look stupid. Now, you, you don't say any of those things. You do, I was angry, hurt, a little taken back, but here's the truth. That was the truth. Now, he didn't leave it there. He went on to say, right immediately afterwards, once you got cradled, at that moment in time, you took a back seat. You shut down. 
You cease to become offensive because you gave him too much respect. He was totally right. He was completely right. But if I'm not able to handle rebuke, and I don't understand that my coach has my best interest at heart and wants me to grow and learn from that experience, I'll brush that off and focus on the harshness of what he said and not the truth of what he said. The author of Hebrews is saying something which is quite stinging. You know, I'd like to go deeper, but I can't because you're dull of hearing. Oh, it gets worse after verse 11. He goes on to say, I'd love to give you solid, solid food, but you're babies. Basically, he's saying, you're, you're not ready for solid food. This is not, this is not necessarily, it's, it's kind. It's a kind rebuke, but it's not a pleasant one. That is, if in fact the shoe fits for you. It may not, it may not. But for those who hear this tonight, and it does, it does sting a little bit, take the rebuke with the Spirit of Christ for the purpose for which he's giving it to the Hebrews. He wants to see them move onward towards maturity. So three things we're going to see in the text. Three things that we're going to see in the text. First of all, our goal. The goal here is maturity. That's what the author wants for us. That's what Christ wants for us. But there's a problem. Between maturity, the goal, and where many of us are at now is immaturity. There's the reality that we're not mature. We have not arrived. And even those of you who are spiritually mature, God wants us to continue to grow and become more mature until we're conformed in the likeness and image of Christ. So we're going to take a look at the goal, our maturity. We're going to take a look at the problem, the obstacle, our maturity. And then we're going to take a look at the solution, which is sanctification. Sanctification. So that's what we're going to take a look at uh, tonight. Now, before we get to the text, one, one plug, something that will help us in our maturity is to be in the Word daily. Now, I want to put this up here. I'll put it up at the, at the end of the message as well. But a devotion that, uh, that the pastors have put together for Lent starting the 17th. So just in a few days, if you text Lent 21 to 94253, you will receive a daily devotional that will take you through the Gospel of Luke corresponding to that very last one, which we see in Luke is the resurrection of Christ. So the goal is to help us mature together as a family of believers as we move towards, um, towards our, uh, our eventual reunion with Christ physically and our, with our resurrection as we look at his resurrection. So open up your Bibles to Hebrew chapter 5, verse 11, and we'll get right to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And sometimes it cuts, and sometimes that cutting doesn't encourage us, but it exposes us, as we looked in Hebrews chapter 4. And and these verses sound harsh. They even sound a little bit unkind. And Lord, I pray that you, in in, uh, um, your truth, would be clear tonight, and that the truth would be administered in love even if it is hard to hear, and that you would grow us, that you would sanctify us, that you would show us the beauty and majesty of our high priest Jesus, um, who empathizes and sympathizes with us in every way, because he is, man, God become flesh, and he understands our weakness. So Lord, guide us in truth this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So first off, the goal, our maturity. Let's take a look at verses 11 and 12. About this, we have much to say. 
we have much to say. Now the this, this is important. What is the this? About this, we have much to say. Can't go there right now, but I really, really want to. What is the this? The this is what we looked at last week and the week before when we're talking about Jesus as the greater high priest. The greater high priest. Now, he's going to go on and say a great deal more about this in chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. But for right now, he's kind of going to have to set the stage. He's got to do some reparative work here to get us so that we're ready to embrace the depth of all that Jesus is in terms of the high priest. So about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Now, why is it hard to explain? couple different reasons. Number one, it could be so abstract that the author of Hebrews is finding difficulty finding the words that will help us understand. That could be a reason. Like if I were teaching a lecture right now on quantum mechanics, I could say, this is really hard to explain. But I wouldn't follow it with, the reason is because you're dull of hearing. I would say, it's just too difficult for me to explain. I'm dull of understanding, so I can't explain it. That's not the author's problem. That's not the author's problem. The problem is not with the author. The problem is with the audience. What does he say? About this we have much to say. It's hard to explain since or because or because you've become dull of hearing. Now that word that's translated dull, it means lazy. It means sluggish. The reason that they're not able to grasp, understand, and embrace the beauty and the depth of who Jesus is as high priest is because they are lazy. They just don't care enough to go deep enough to be impacted by the beauty of what he's saying or wants to tell them. It's hard to explain because you are dull or sluggish, lazy of hearing. Now, what does he go on to say? For though by this time you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teachers. What's he saying here? He's saying that he's, he's saying that each one of us, if, if we're disciples of Christ, a disciple is someone who's a follower, someone who's a follower. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. This is the great commission. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe all that I command. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Now, when the author of Hebrews says, you ought to be teachers by this time, he's not saying that you should be vocational pastors or teachers. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's not even saying that each of you have been given the gift of teaching. That's not true. Some of you have, some of you who have not. But even if you have not been given the gift of spiritual gift of teaching, and even if you have never become or never planned to be or never become a teacher vocationally, you should be able to communicate the foundations of the faith to other people. What Jesus is saying to all disciples, and if you are a follower of Christ, you are a disciple, he's saying your disciple now go make disciples. And what does he say? What's part of making disciples? Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. So all of us, if we are followers of Christ, to one degree or another, our to be, we are to be disciples who are making disciples. And part of discipleship is instructing and helping others to understand. Deuteronomy chapter 6 
You're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the author of, of, uh, of Exodus goes on to say, God tells Moses to, to teach these things with your children as you lie with them, as you sit with them, as you walk along the way. So if you are a parent, you have to be a teacher. It, 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 and, and if you're not a parent and you're going to remain single your whole life, that is wonderful. However, you've got to be able to teach. At some point in time, all of us are to grow up and mature and be able to teach. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you know, you ought to be there by now, but you're not. Now, I don't know if that's a blanket statement for all of you. But he's writing to a general audience, and many of them ought to be a lot more mature than they are. And that's a fair bet that whenever you're teaching to any group, some of you ought to be more mature than you are. And I, that's, I don't know which of you should be more mature than you are. But this is just a general text spoken to a general audience, and it applies now just as it did then. So, ought to be teachers, not vocationally, but we ought to be able to instruct others and help them grow in their faith. So, why aren't they? What's holding them back? What's holding them back? The obstacle is immaturity. Let's take a look at the text. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. You need someone to teach you. By the way, that's not wrong to want to be taught. It's for example, you could be very mature and helping others in their faith and still long to sit under good, solid teaching. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But you shouldn't be dependent upon others teaching you. Let's look at the text. You ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again. What do they need to be taught? They need to be taught again the basic principles of the oracles of God. And then he gives a spiritual metaphor here. So you know, you need milk. You need milk, not solid food. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Okay, verse 12. The second half of verse 12. You need milk, not solid food. That's the equivalent of telling someone, you are a baby. You are a baby. That's not a compliment. That's me hearing, if I were in a street fight, I'd want you on the other side. You're an infant. You're still wearing diapers. You can't walk yet. You're just crawling around. That's, that's sharp. That cuts. That cuts. Immature. And what does it say? You're unskilled in the word of righteousness. You don't know how to handle the word. You don't know how to handle the word. It's not that you can't read. But when you read it, it doesn't make any sense to you. And going back to verse 11, you're too lazy to work to begin to understand in a way that it would make sense to you. The author of Hebrews is not cutting us any slack. We can't just approach the Bible and say, it's just too hard for me to understand. I'll just wait till Pastor Shepherdly tells me what it means. That's not responsible. Again, it's not bad to long to hear good teaching, but if we are dependent upon others to tell us what it means, then we are following them, not following Christ. After the riots, 
I had someone respond to an article I wrote and said, you need to read this article. I trust this person implicitly. To which I responded, you shouldn't trust me implicitly. You need to become, according to Acts chapter 17, verse 11, a Berean. The Bereans listened to what Paul said and they told Paul, Paul, we'll get back to you on that. We're going to search the scriptures to see if what you said is true. Do you understand what they just said? They just told an apostle, Paul, that the word of God, he is under the authority of the word of God and we will study the scriptures ourselves to determine if what you said is right. Praise God for discerning people in churches. That's what the author of Hebrews is exhorting us to become skilled in the Word of God. Skilled in the Word of God. You see, immature individuals are unable to feed themselves. How many of you either have children or nieces and nephews, and you remember, or they might even still be there, that that period of time when they're still toddling around, and they're, I don't know, one to two, and they sit in a high chair, and when they eat, they get food everywhere in their hair on the floor. How many of you, th- you think that's cute? Raise your hand. Okay, you think it's cute. It is cute. It is cute. Now, imagine coming over to dinner with someone in your community group, and their 13-year-old is sitting in a high chair, rubbing hot dogs in their hair and their face, and it's, it's just everywhere. Is it cute? It's creepy. It ceases to be cute and it becomes just something which is abnormal and completely wrong. Right? Right? Spiritually speaking, this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. You ought to be skilled in the Word, but you're not. You're still playing with your food. You can take the carrots out of your nose now. It's not funny. It used to be when you were two, but you're 20 now. Okay, this is what... This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. You ought to be skilled. Someone who is is immature is unable to feed themselves. And here's the thing. You're also unable to feed anyone else. You're You're not productive. You cannot be a disciple maker if you do not understand and you're not growing and being able to handle the word of God correctly. The Apostle Paul said something similar to the church in Corinth in verses 1 through 2 and 3 in in, uh, Hebrews, or Hebrews rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, brothers, I'd like to address you. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For where there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? Spiritually speaking, there are a lot of Christians in the body of Christ. They are Christians. They do possess the Holy Spirit. However, Paul says, I can't address you as mature, but as infants. And you behave. They behave as infants. What's the characteristic here of an infant? It says, you only drink milk, but in a sense, the way you can tell is you don't get along with people. You want things your way all the time. You want things your way all the time. Paul goes on to say in Galatians, when he's talking about the flesh and the works of the flesh, which Christians can live in this way and display these tendencies, and unfortunately often do, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, 
divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's, that's a case study in what it looks to be immature. And it is possible for a Christian to be immature. And when you are walking in that state, you are not feeding yourself and you certainly can't help anyone else grow. I'll just pause for, for just a second. Do any of you feel a little bit beat up right now? Just spent the last 10 minutes or maybe more just kind of being spanked. So me standing in the locker room in Cedar Falls, just having heard from a legend that if he were in a street fight, he'd want me on the other team. You don't feel real good at that moment. And some of you, this message might sting. And you kind of feel a little bit beat up, like you're being taken to task by me. Now, I don't know you, and I wouldn't say this to you personally. Well, I might. But it would be in love. But I'm just saying, I don't really know whether, where you're at spiritually. Some of you I know very well. Some of you I don't know at all. Some of you I know as, as acquaintances. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit might be cutting you. Do you feel a little beat up right now? If you do, there's good news. Let's back up a few verses to where we were a few weeks back. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. Let us then, verse 16, draw with confidence near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Listen, listen to this. If you're feeling beat up right now because you think you've been called out as being immature, because you think you've been called out because you don't know how to use a fork, because you, all you do is suck on a bottle, understand that Jesus gets you. Do you know that Jesus didn't know how to use a fork? He had to be taught how to eat solid food. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ, who spoke the universe into existence by the word of his mouth, didn't know how to enunciate common syllables, but as an infant had to listen to his mother and father speak to them and mimic the movements of their mouth so that he might form intelligible words and then put those together into sentences? Do you know that Jesus didn't know personal hygiene but had to be taught personal hygiene? Did you know that Jesus had to be taught how to read the Torah? He did not know how to read the Word of God which he inspired. Jesus was physically and emotionally and even spiritually immature. He had to grow. Now that does not mean by saying he was spiritually immature that he was with sin. He was altogether without sin, yet... He was not capable of teaching anyone at one point in time in his life as a human being. He gets it. If you are looking at the Bible saying, I don't understand. There was a point in time when he would read the Psalms and not know what they meant. That should give us encouragement that we can go to the throne of grace, not with shame, but knowing that he too had to grow and mature. He gets you. He gets me. I'm 
pretty sure his dad never told him that if he was in a street fight, he'd want him on the other side. But he has at, at times felt weak. He was weak. He understands. So the solution. What is the solution? The solution is our sanctification. Now that word sanctification, we're not going to find it here in the text. You see it elsewhere, especially in Paul's writings. You also see it in Hebrews. You also see it in Hebrews. It simply means that we are to be set apart. It's the process by which we become and conform into the likeness of God or the likeness of Christ, the likeness of his image. It's growing in spiritual maturity. Now, our salvation, your salvation, was an event. It's a process in the sense that God drew us along. He pulled us along by his Holy Spirit working in us. We slowly or very quickly became aware of our sin and convicted of it. We became aware of Jesus Christ and who he is and his provision. We became aware of what he did on that cross and his offer of salvation by grace through faith. And the Holy Spirit moved within us and grace by faith we received the word of God, which is our salvation, and we gave ourselves to him and entered into a covenant relationship with him. We were therefore, Jesus says in John 13, born again, justified, Paul calls it, in Christ, declared simultaneously righteous and simultaneously not guilty. An event. And we were babies, newly delivered into the kingdom of God. Sanctification is the process by which from the moment you receive Christ to the moment you receive your glorification when you see him face to face as he is. Sanctification is the process by which you and I grow. Become less immature and more like Christ. What does the author of Hebrews have to say about this process? But solid food, solid food is the, for the mature. By the way, at no point in time does the author, whether it's Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 or the author of Hebrews here in 1 Corinthians 5 and also chapter 6, say, you know what? Milk is bad. You should stop drinking milk. No. What he says is milk is good, but if that's all you're drinking, that's, you're, it's gonna, your growth is going to be hindered. He says solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment. Look at the text. Trained by what? What's the text say? By what? Constant practice to distinguish between, distinguish good from evil. Distinguish between good and evil. So this learning to eat solid food requires the ability to use a fork. So both my kids are here and I, I I should have asked, but I'm not going to. Both of them, like all of us, at some point in time, had to sit in high chairs. Both of them put spaghetti in their hair and all over the floor. Both of them ate with their hands when they were first learning to eat with solid food, eat solid food. And it was cute. But at some point in time, Stacy, because she is a good mother, taught Ryan and Caitlin. You say, well, where were you at? Probably playing video games or watching TV because I was immature early in my, my fatherhood. Stacy taught them how to use a fork. Now, were they any good at it at first? No, none of us were. But they eventually learned how to use a fork. And they learned how to eat. In this case, in this case, this kind of training isn't 
This is a metaphor, remember? This, this eating solid food requires our mind. It requires that we be transformed, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. In other words, we become discerning. We understand what is good. We understand what is evil. We understand how we ought to live in certain circumstances and situations as we apply the word of God to our lives. But be transformed by the renewing of your what? Minds. It requires mental engagement. It also requires, and the text doesn't bring this out here, but it does in chapter 10, it requires engagement within the community. If we are going to mature as brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the deal. We need brothers and sisters in Christ. Listening to a podcast and reading the scriptures on your own all the time is fine, but the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10, do not neglect meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing, but meet together often, encouraging one another more so as you see the day in approaching, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. It's group hermeneutic. It's a group where you, as iron sharpens iron, it says in Hebrews, Hebrews, Proverbs, Proverbs, it, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or one woman sharpens another. My wife and I share the scriptures all the time. The more so as we grow older together and we build into one another. And she gives me spiritual insight, things I'd never thought of. Because I'm still growing. You say, well, Brooks, you're a pastor, you're a teacher. You shouldn't need to be taught. Nonsense. I need my wife's instruction. I need people from my community group to speak into me. I need Steve and I need Jason to speak into me. I have learned so much as Jason and Steve and I have talked about passages and preparing for teaching just from listening to those two talk. It's improved my teaching. It involves engaging the mind and it involves engaging one another. And back to my kids. There was a time when they couldn't put food in their mouths. And yet now my son Ryan, spiritually speaking, he and Andrew lead a new believers class. And my daughter, she leads worship and I get up to preach. There was a time when they were running around pooping their pants. That was not something I envisioned ever happening. But they're normal followers of Christ who have been given the Holy... By the way, they're not perfect. I have stories. I'm not sharing those tonight. But they are maturing and they're still growing and they ought to. They're both married now, so if you want to know how fallible they really are, you can ask their spouses. They know more even than the parents. The point is, spiritual growth doesn't mean we arrive at a place of per perfection, but we're progressing in a direction. And what's it lead to? It leads to discernment, being able to distinguish between good and evil. Therefore, therefore, there's a transition here. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washing, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of dead and, and, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. We're going to spend just a little bit of time here and then we'll close. Here, let me just tell you what the author is not saying. He's not saying, you know, you need to move past that stuff because that's not good. No, that's foundational. That's what he said. Let's leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying what? 
again the foundation. These are foundational. What's foundational? Repentance is foundational. Repentance from what? Sin? Yes. It's not what he says. Repentance from what? What do we repent of? Dead works. Dead works. The idea that my obedience to God earns me merit with him. That's a religious sentiment and it's toxic. It's damnable. It's something that needs to be repented of. And that's why the apostle says in, in, uh, in Hebrew, not Hebrews, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 9, we were saved by grace, by faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we repent of dead works that lead to death. And of faith towards God. We repent of those works and we turn towards faith in God, faith in Christ, of what, what Christ has done for us. And of instructions about washing. Presumably this is probably referring to baptisms. But because he's also speaking to Hebrews, Christians, who are very familiar with Jewish culture, this all ha also has to do with ceremonial washings, which they're very used to. The laying on of hands, presumably or possibly referring to the reception of various gifts of the spirits, as Timothy received the gifts of the spirits when Paul laid his hands on him. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These things are all wonderful and foundational. That's the point of a foundation. But if you build your own house someday and you have the contractors come in and they lay a concrete foundation and then years later or weeks later we come by your house and you have us over for dinner and you have a tent put up on your foundation, something's wrong. A foundation is meant to be what? Built upon. Built upon. Not with another, you don't dig the foundation. Those are good things. You don't dig up the foundations and put in new foundations. No, build on the foundation. Build on the foundation. Don't relay the foundation. Let me give you a, maybe a, a helpful sentence. I think this is what this means. The immature Christian knows what they're saved from. Eternal judgment. The immature Christian doesn't know what they're saved for. That's what the author's saying. You know what you're saved from. You know that you're saved by grace through faith. You know that you're saved from eternal judgment, that there's no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. But do you know what you're saved for? As a grad student here at the University of Iowa, do you know what God has saved you for and how he wants to use you in your place and position in life right now? Do you know what God has saved you for as a young mother who feels like she's not worth anything because no one ever thanks you for doing anything? Do you know the influence that you have is where you're at? Do you know as a young married person what God has saved you for? Do you know as a young single person what God has saved you for? Do you know what God wants to do with you as a student at the University of Iowa? Or starting your career? Or a grandmother? You see, Brooks, my life is too broken. We have a high priest in Jesus who has been tempted in every way as we are, and we can draw near to him with confidence to receive grace and mercy, to receive grace and mercy so that we might grow in grace, so that we might give mercy. As a follower of Christ, God wants us to mature. 
so that we might be able to take the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ, and give it to those who have none. An infant in Christ is not equipped or able to share the gospel with people. And in our culture, there are people around us who desperately need Christ. And he's calling us to grow so that we can share Christ. An immature Christian knows what they're saved from, but not what they're saved for. Colossians 3.10. Paul says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of his creator. Here's what he's talking about. Here's what it means to grow in Christ. It's to become more and more familiar with who you are in Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are being made new. That's a progressive statement. You're not who you were in the past. And you're not who you will be in the future. God will make you into something altogether. You are new right now. He will make you into something new. He has great plans for us, for you as an individual. Our union with Christ, to savor that, to cherish that. Yes, you are, you're under no condemnation in Christ, so there's no fear about eternal condemnation. But Jesus said that I came that you might have joy, that my joy would be in you, and that your joy might be complete. Maturity means that we relish that union with Christ. And our anxiety and our stress drops and our joy grows. That does not mean that our circumstances become awesome. It could mean they get worse. It could mean they get worse. I want to encourage you, first of all, make Jesus your foundation. Don't lay aside the foundation, but if you haven't received Christ, that's where you start. You do repent of dead works. You can't be justified or accepted by God because you're a quote-unquote good person, whatever that means to you. There's no one good except God. Christ died to save sinners. Paul said, of which I am the worst. Receive him by grace through faith. Receive Jesus as your foundation. And then keep growing. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the likeness and image of Christ. In the likeness and image of Christ. But don't be sluggish. Don't be lazy. Don't be dull of hearing. Walk this out with one another. And to encourage you to do that, I want to come back around to this. Text Lent 21 94253 to help you develop a daily discipline of being in the Word. As we see Christ take his disciples who were very immature and walk with them for three years so that they might be able to someday teach others and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Um, We are so undeserving. And thank you, Lord, that you are a high priest who sympathizes with us. It blows my mind that you too at one point did not know how to literally eat solid food, that you didn't know how to read, that you didn't know how to speak. So Lord, help us to take comfort in the fact that you understand exactly what it means to be
to be immature and to grow in maturity. And I pray, Spirit, that you would work in each one of us and help us to come alongside each other that we might encourage one another all the more so as we see that day approaching. In Jesus' name, amen.